Welcome to the Talk <laughs> This is all about wine. This is all, is about, all wine. about wine. Dedicated for the wine industry since 2009. <laughs> winemaker, summer master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Ron. Basically what we're trying to do on the program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast, coast to coast. Around the world, you know, we really have had some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Post your questions and comments during the live show on our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash All About Wine BTR. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash All About Wine BTR. And now, All About Wine is on. Here's Ron. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, Mike, I unplugged it, turned it back on, hit copy, and it came <laughs> on a black sheet again. All right. As a final step, unplug both pr- printers, go to Best Buy with a credit card <laughs> or cash. Tell them you want their top-of-the-line printer and <laughs> minimum... 800, 900 bucks. And, and I want uh, cartridges to be cheap. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, they got, a, they, got, they got a color, they got a color laser printer at work. I think the whole thing was maybe, I don't know, 900 bucks or something. It's a pretty good size. It does everything. It's all laser color and everything. And yeah. to order cartridges for the cartridges are $400 a piece, I think. Whoa. So if you bought all the cartridges, it almost cost the price of the printer. It's like how ridiculous is that? So that tells right. me they're putting nine yeah, they're putting nine hundred dollars of print cartridges in this thing and fifty dollars worth of hardware. Doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you start looking at the That's amount it. of ink that they use in it, they use probably about fifty cents worth of ink. Yeah, that mm-hmm. they're yeah. They're spraying oh, yeah. on those papers, yeah. I know that's cartridge ink cartridges are outrageous. All right, well mm. we we have talked about got a phone call coming in. We got a guest tonight, and so we are uh, we were sitting there killing a couple of minutes until he contacted us, but he's sitting there. Thatcher Baker Bridge is our guest. He is well a lot of things, and so instead of let me trying to tell you everything that he is and what he does will get him to tell us himself. Hello, Thatcher. Hey, Thank you. Welcome to All About Wine. How are you? Thanks I'm for, doing uh, great tonight. Thanks for letting me uh, join. I'm excited to oh. uh, to have a good conversation with you guys. It is our pleasure having you on. We appreciate it uh, that you're taking the time out to join us. Uh, the uh, first thing I want to ask you is yes, where sir. did you get the name Thatcher? That is uh, rather unusual. I don't think I've ever heard that before. It, you know, I wish I had a really good story for you. Uh, and, and like, maybe it was like my, you know, my family was, was uh, you know, from the UK and they just loved Margaret Thatcher. But uh, I don't really have a good story. Uh, oh, you know, my, yeah. uh, my parents just, they liked the name and it, and it clicked. And uh, um, it's, yeah, that's <laughs> honestly, that's the story. I, I wish I had a better one for the name. So basically what you're saying is your parents are, are uh, 
children from the 60s who had a child, and they were saying, all right, let's call him Thatcher. And so they, that's <laughs> what they did. <laughs> you know, almost, almost, but, but 70s, 70s parents, actually. So, yes, yeah, 70s cat. works, too. 70s works, too. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I just wondered. I've never heard the name before, and I just I, I thought it was rather unusual, and, and that's why I was just curious of where I, it came from. I've never met anyone named Thatcher either in real life. Um, you know, it's funny when I say, "Hey, my name is Thatcher," people automatically think that I say Patrick, and uh, so I have to say, <laughs> "Oh no, no, Thatcher," like Margaret. And and as I get a little older. Uh, the amount of people that don't know who Margaret don't, Thatcher is is starting to become a little concerning. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, it's becoming more and more. Or Thatcher, maybe you know the romance novels that you hear with the uh, the hunk on the cover and the girl in the flowing gown. Thatcher sounds like a name for one of the characters there too. I'll take it if it's the hunk for sure. Okay. <laughs> All right. I just, you know, you know, we're, we're, you know, getting out of <laughs> tangent here. But it's a name, though. I'm, I'm you know, no, no. obviously you've gotten used to it all the years, so it doesn't tend to be an issue with you. But I just was curious where it came from. So, um, yes, that's that. so you are involved in lots of stuff. I was quite impressed. Uh, your uh, publicist, I guess, was uh, Alicia, sent me a, uh, well, a, a biography, I guess, of what <laughs> right. you've done and what you've been doing in your life. And instead of me going through everything and all that, uh want you to tell us how you got to where you are now, what you do now, how you got to where you are now, and all the, well, your history, if you will. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it's been a, a long life, but a short life still, I guess. I'm, I'm still quite young. So, um, yeah, I mean, I got into to food uh, when I was really young, and it was just kind of came from I don't really actually know where it came from because I didn't really grow up in, like, a very food-oriented family. Um, but when I got the bug, I just kind of dove in and was really uh, passionate about different ingredients, different culture, cooking techniques. Um, and I started reading and kind of tasting and trying to cook and watching the Food Network. Um, and eventually sometime around 10, 11, I kind of said to myself, hey, I know that I want to work in restaurants. I want to be a chef. This is what I want to do. As yeah, but see, being, so uh, often, if, if I can interrupt you, so often, yeah, I mean, okay. at, at 10, 11 years old, you know, I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a cowboy. I want to be a, <laughs> a, a fireman. I mean, most people, are, well, I want to be a chef. And they say, yeah, okay, that's nice. Can run along and play. I mean, to to grasp it at that age is really and to hold on to that dream is really unusual in itself yeah i it's i don't i don't know i'm a pretty I'll, if anybody that knows me knows that i'm one of the most persistent people probably um but it's funny like i it's nothing's ever changed um for me food uh and and now wine which i think really go hand in hand it, there's never been a moment where i've said you know, I'm tired, uh, the working, the hours are too long, uh, the pay is not good enough. But none of those things um, have, have ever come up. I've never said I'm bored of this. It's just uh, there's really nothing else in the world that I uh, would ever really want to do other than 
work in food, wine, and like sort of hospitality, if you will. So, um, yeah, I was lucky. I I mean, really lucky. And I've just been uh, for the past, I guess. um, So I started working in restaurants when I was 13 and now being 30. So it's, I guess, you know, 17 years. And uh, I've just always tried to uh, take in and absorb uh, as much as I possibly could uh, along the along the road. Um, so when I was 13, I started started uh, as a dishwasher in Windsor, Ontario. I'm Canadian, um, and uh, that didn't last long because I just kind of was always poking my head around the corner from the from the dish pit and uh, curious what was going on uh, in the on the line. And the chefs would always say, "Oh, come, like we'll teach you something. We'll teach you something." And started uh, rising up the ranks um, in in the restaurant in Windsor. And by the time I was around 16 um, or so, I was uh, pretty much running the kitchen, helping them to open another restaurant. Um, Learned a lot in a really short period of time. Um, And from there, I went to spend a couple of years. Again, if I may interject, what about school? I mean, you know, there's the... Canadian school system say, okay, this boy here is going to be a, a <laughs> chef and the rest, so we'll let him skip school and go do this. Well, what what were you doing? You know, doing school at the same time as all this? Yeah, I mean, I was doing school for kind of the beginning part of it. Um, after uh, you know, when I was in when I was in high school, we basically kind of found a way. There there was a way in Canada that you could um, kind of get credits by. Um, like trade credits, if you will. And um, yeah, so we we kind of figured it out. I don't know how I did it, um, but I I also (laughs) think that the the principal and the teachers were like, okay, like we'll figure something out for you. Like we see what's going on here. And um, and so, yeah, I ended up getting credits from from, from working in restaurants and, and, uh, you know, the the labor laws, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not so sure, but uh, there were definitely some exceptions that were made, and uh, um, yeah, I was I was extremely lucky lucky to get such an early start because um, I think in any other world or even maybe just a few years later, um, it, I probably would have had to wait until I was you know 16 most likely to be able to like actually work in a restaurant, but back right. then you can get, uh, it, it was like legal in, like starting at 12, I think, or 13 was like the legal age in Canada that you could actually start and have a, and have a job. Um, wow. So I was really lucky. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it, I don't yeah. think it's like that anymore, but it was at least back then. So. Wow. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. And then once I got into the kitchen, you know, that was kind of, that was, that was it for me. I, I just, I just was like, I need to always kind of push myself and put myself in, um, kind of unique situations. Um, so after spending four years at what was really the sort of fine dining restaurant in the city, um, I moved on to work at a sushi restaurant for a couple of years. Uh, and I've always been really kind of interested in Japanese food and flavors. And, um, you know, once in a while uh, on, a, on a lucky day, uh, you know, my mom would take me out for sushi or something. And that was really kind of interesting. And so when I actually started working at a sushi restaurant, um, I kind of really fell in love with um, you know, Japanese food, and that kind of comes back to play years later. Um, and then after spending, you know, turning 18, I basically said, all right, mom, I'm going to Europe. 
jumped on a plane on my like 18th birthday, spent a couple of months uh, in Europe with all the money that I had kind of saved up from working for, um, you know, those years. And, <laughs> last year uh, for two months. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then it was barely, barely two months. Yeah. I think I might have. I think I might have called my mom halfway through and being like, um, <laughs> "You know all that money I had saved up? Well, <laughs> yeah, it's gone. Yeah. Um, so I flew into Italy and kind of just traveled around. I mean, I flew into Venice and made my way down south. Went to Sweden. Went all over France. And um, obviously you know, being 18, didn't quite have the, the means to, uh, you know, do all the Michelin starred restaurants, but it was really amazing to kind of experience the culture uh, and, uh, you know, go to the markets and see the way that people live and eat. And um, it just, being there alone at 18 just made me say, hey, I need to do something like grand. I need to do something big. I, I need to make big moves. Um, and so as soon as I got back, I said, hey, mom, there's this chef in Vancouver and Vancouver is obviously it's on the other side of, of Canada. Yeah. And, uh, I just heard that he moved to Vancouver and, uh, I'm going to move there and I hope I'll get a job. And that was the, kind of the conversation that we had. <laughs> and she's like, she's like, what are you talking about? And I was like, I just need to go there cause I want to work for this chef. And his name was Warren Garrity. He was, um, the, the right-hand man for Marco Pure White. And so he had this really amazing story and I was really interested in his food. And, uh, Somehow, uh, I moved there, and um, he hired me. And it's funny because you, you brought up my name and the fact that it's Thatcher. I, I think to this day that that was the reason that I got the job there because he <laughs> said to me, he said, I think, I don't know if it's, you're a good cook or if I'm just a big fan of Maggie. Um, he's like, but I'm going to hire you. <laughs> Pretty funny, so. yeah, it is. That is. And it was an, it was an amazing kitchen to work in. It was, the restaurant was is, is called it's still open, I believe. It's called West, and um, they were always at the kind of forefront of uh, of the food that was being made in Canada. It was a, a really really intense kitchen, very European oriented. Learned a ton in a very sort of um, rigid old school cooking. Like sort of imagine if you've ever watched those Gordon Ramsay shows um, back in the day, it was very much along those same lines. Um, uh -huh. <laughs> so learned, learned a lot, built up a tough skin, that's for sure. Um, and then when he departed West, um, <clears throat> when he departed West, I was kind of like, well, I, I moved to Vancouver to, you know, work with you. And uh, I was kind of looking around the city and ended up finding another chef that I was, had kind of been following um, in Toronto, which is uh, back on the, the East Coast, I guess. Yeah, the coast, right. Um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, it's like, it, you know, it's not on the East Coast, but definitely more East than it was West. And so um, he was doing some really incredible stuff at, at the, his restaurant at the time called Splendido. Um, and he was doing this sort of Asian fusion um, thing that wasn't, Asian fusion wasn't yet, Asian fusion. It was still kind of figuring out what it was. And uh, he was just doing amazing, amazing things. Um, and so I, I, I jumped back to Ontario um, and took a position with him. Uh, again, super lucky that he wanted to hire me. Um, and it was, it was a really uh, interesting change of pace uh, for me. So the last couple of restaurants that I had worked at have all been really kind of small and intimate. And this was a 
monster of a restaurant. <laughs> we were doing 600 people a day wow. in like a very fine dining format. It was honestly, uh, I, when I look at it now, after you know all of the experiences that I've had, I'm still kind of blown away by what <laughs> we were able to do uh, at this restaurant. Um, and then from there, you know, again, I, I just kind of said, well, what am I going to do now? You know, I've been at this restaurant for a few years and, um, I want more. I want, I want to be out of my comfort zone. I want to be challenged. What am I going to do? And, and I said, the thing that Canada is lacking is Michelin stars. It doesn't have any. And I hmm. think that that's something that I need to understand and, and need to experience. And, um, so I, I kind of, made a, a, a short list of restaurants um, all around the world that I, that I was really um, curious to work for. Uh, I had been following the chef, and um, I emailed uh, Qua, which is a, uh, was a two Michelin star restaurant here in San Francisco, and um, I had been following the chef Daniel Patterson for, for quite a long time um, because he was, really, he was really doing something um, – that now is incredibly popular, but but back in the day, I mean, he was at the forefront of it, and he was doing all these foraging and focusing on vegetables and really local products, and and not doing um, these tasting menus based off of truffles and foie gras and caviar. Um, it was more things like uh, oysters and uh, different like broccoli's cauliflowers, brassicas, we called it, and. Um, so I, I sent them an email, and I, I was they they sent it they, they responded right away, and and I said okay I'm 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 coming I <laughs> so I went and I spent a week uh, with them, and they offered me a job, and I and I figured out how to move to the U.S. and luckily I have a U.S. passport because my dad is American, so I I kind of oh. lucked out. Uh, um, otherwise, I don't know if I honestly it's so hard to move to the U.S. Um, otherwise, uh, even with experience oh. like a it's it's really challenging and so um i kind of lucked out there and that was kind of my my entry point into into wine um it was a very small restaurant um we worked at a really high level um but because it was so intimate at the end of the night you sometimes get to you know taste wines that were open or or poured or left or whatever and you know i I didn't really know anything I, i i I tasted and I said, "Oh, that's interesting." Like I've never tasted anything like this before. But, but I think a lot of times when you when you cook, you you really just focus on what's happening in the kitchen, you know. Mm-hmm. And after work, you have a beer or a whiskey or whatever, and you don't you don't necessarily pay attention to the service of things. And um, so, you know, that's what kind of sparked my interest. Were some 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 moments there, um, but it wasn't until. Um, uh, the next position that I ended up going back to Canada for about maybe six months, nine months, um, to help the original restaurant that I worked for. They were completely oh. renovating everything, and they wanted some help. They're like, oh, you worked at a Michelin star restaurant. Like, why don't you come back and sort of give us your input and help us do this? And uh, that's when, he, you know, he was asking my opinion on wine, and I was like, uh... Well, <laughs> I don't know. And I would, I like I would it. call the sommelier. <laughs> yeah, I would call the sommelier at Claw, and I would say, like, hey, like, what is this? And he would try to explain it to me. And then, like, and I still had no idea what he was talking about. And so then I was like, well, now I feel 
crazy. I've spent 10 years working in restaurants. I want to own a restaurant, but I don't know anything about service and I don't know anything about wine. And I don't, I need to change that. That's not, that's not okay with me. With me. And so I, um, I just put my head in the books and I just studied for sometimes on my day, day or day off, days off, I would spend, you know, 10, 12 hours just reading and, and maybe just like tasting wines. And um, I just became obsessed and it was something that I just couldn't, you know, it just, I don't know, I, could, I, never, I never could get out of it. I never wanted to get out of it. And so um, I think from that point and about six months later, I went through the intro sommelier exam with the quartermaster sommeliers and then passing the certified exam. And I was, I think, 20, it was like 22 when I passed. Wow. And, um, um, and it was amazing. I mean, it was, it's, it's such an interesting, um, you know, path. And I think, I think for anybody that goes down it, I think it's really, it's really fascinating. And it also allows you to kind of take away uh, what you want out of it. You can really go down so many different paths with it. You don't need to become a master or you can become a master, you know, it's really up to you. And so, um, you know, that was amazing. And I, I took the exam in New York and, um, when I got back, I was just like, I need, I need to be in a place like that. Like I need to be in a place um, where there's people and there's access to wine because there's, there's amazing wine in Canada, but everything is um, province controlled. So it's all goes mm-hmm. through in Ontario through the LCBO. So there's amazing uh-huh. wine that goes to Ontario, um, but there's also a ton of wine that you, it's just, actually it's just it's impossible to get in in Canada and so um I said hey I need to learn about wine more and I need to uh be more be more involved in service and so I I I I went back to San Francisco and um you know I I didn't I didn't have a job when I went back um but I I felt I felt okay I felt like I was gonna find something that that really fit what I was looking for um and ended up taking the job at uh, that at Saison. And um, at the time, it was a two Michelin star restaurant, and uh, the chef had been on my radar for a really, really long time. And you know, when I applied, naturally they said, "Well, yeah, I mean, we could definitely hire you in the kitchen." And I was like, "Well, no, 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 I don't want, I don't want that. I work in the dining room. I want, I want to be a sommelier. I want to work with wine." And they're like, "Well, you have zero front of the house house experience." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh yeah, oh yeah." So they're like, "Well, you could start at the bottom, but they're like, you've been doing this for ten years already." And I was like, "I don't care. I'll, I'll start at the bottom. I'll I'll learn everything because like." Honestly, I don't even know what side of the fork is I'm supposed to put on, you know, like put the fork on the table, right? <laughs> right. So, so, yeah, I mean, and I, and I really was excited to work at Cezanne because they were, they were looking at things so much differently. They were, looking, um, they were looking at service from a very comfortable way. They wanted to give you a three Michelin star service, but they wanted it to give you um, the things that you needed as opposed to just the way that it's always done. And I think for me that was really interesting. They had an amazing wine list. Um, at the time, probably 3,000 selections on the wine list, wow. mostly Burgundy. It was honestly the seller was, you know, back in, this was in 2014, and the seller was incredible. 
Um, I mean, you could pretty much name any producer, any vineyard in, in vintage in Burgundy, and it was probably on the list or, or very close to it. Um, and then the food was outrageous. I mean, it, everything was cooked over an open fire. You sat in the kitchen. Um, it was just such a fun restaurant to work in. There was 80s music playing. It was just like nobody ever knew what was going on, except it was just so much fun. How and, big? Uh, how, how many? How many tables? Seven tables in the dining room. It's really Seven? small. Wow. Yeah, we served about 50, 50, 50 guests a night is kind of what we did for, for covers. It was tiny. And at the time, it was one of the most expensive restaurants in the U.S. I think, I think the only other two restaurants were, uh, that were more expensive were Masa in New York, which is six, seven, eight hundred, And then uh, uh, Urasawa, which is now closed in, in L.A., um, but yeah, the tasting menu back in the in 2014 was like three. It was like 390 or something, 320 per person, which was <laughs> double what, what double what was normal in 2014. Now that's normal, but back then everybody was like, "Who are these people?" <laughs> yeah, why do they think they can get this? Yeah. Right? Yeah, it was it was crazy, and and it, it was always a it was always a topic. But then people would come, and it was. You know, it was so, it was so much fun, and they're like, okay, fine, I get it, I get it. Um, <laughs> and it was so. What was great about that time was, you know, we were we were we we had two Michelin stars, and we were working for our third Michelin star, and and there was just nothing uh, that was going to get in our way of of getting that third Michelin star. And there was so much energy and buzz, and people were talking about the restaurant that we were opening. Just you know, I mean, we were we were drinking so well, and because it was such a small, intimate restaurant, people weren't like, well, let me pour you a little taste of this wine. They're like, here, have a glass of the wine. Like, I want you to drink <laughs> this. I want you to enjoy it, which sometimes got you into trouble. But, uh, like, we were, opening, we were opening DRC all the time, Costery. We were drinking, I mean, I don't even know how many times we had the 82 first gross. Like, they were just being open. Wow. It was just nuts. And so... It was, um, it was really a, a sort of expedited route for me in terms of learning about Burgundy because you start to actually drink these wines so often that it's not just about reading them in a book. It's about understanding bottle to bottle the differences and the variations, and you start to gain a little bit of an opinion on these things. And so that was really, really incredible. Um, after we got our third Michelin star, which was, was pretty amazing, um, you know, the decision for me was kind of like, so I had been there for about two years at the time and I had a choice to make. I, I could have moved into a, uh, you know, director of something, director of service, whatever position, um, or I could have put myself in another position that, or a situation that, um, you know, with my same ethos of how the rest of my life has been is like kind of being outside of my comfort zone. And so I sat back and kind of thought about it. And when I said to you, my, I found, I, I developed this fondness for Japanese food. Right. It was very crude because I then just decided to move to Japan without a job. <laughs> <laughs> Japan. Uh, do you speak yeah. any Japanese? I do now, but I didn't at the time. So, uh, yeah, I just was like, all right, I've worked at some nice restaurants, like, I love Japanese food, uh, well, I 
mean, why wouldn't I move there? Only, so, only makes uh, sense. There you go. Yeah. It only makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I would never give anybody that piece of advice to just, if you want to live in Japan, just go live in Japan. But, um, it, you know, so I, I got there and found an apartment and then realized I don't have a job. And I was like, huh. Um, emailed a couple restaurants and um, I had met uh, Chef Takazawa and his wife Akiko actually at Saison and never really thought anything of it, but I, I had their email and um, so I said, oh, you know, I, they're doing incredible things. It's such a special restaurant in Japan. I would, that's really interesting. And so I sent them an email and they said, yeah, come, come on by. And we, we spent a couple of hours just walking around the restaurant and I say this, but the, and walking around the restaurant, there's only three tables in the entire restaurant. Like there's <laughs> 10 guests tonight. So, so there's not really walking around. It was You're not walking kind of around like, much. No, yeah, yeah, that are very kind of slowly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Very slowly. Um, yeah. And they were like, these are the wine glasses that we use. And like, you know, this is our menu and this is the, the wine list. And they had a really cool wine list. Like they had for, they served 10 guests tonight and they had about 70 selections on their wine list, which is pretty, is pretty good amount of right. wine. And, um, you know, so we were talking and I was like, this is, this is so cool. Like I would love to be, to be a part of this. And, um, so I, I, I accepted the job there, um, started working just a few days later and, um, I actually started working in the kitchen there and I was kind of, I was at a crossroads I, you know, I said to myself, like, I'm in Japan. I love Japanese food. I'm so, I would be so happy to just cook again and, and, and kind of learn all of these things. And then the other side, I love wine. And, um, you know, I would also do that. And so what was interesting about Takazawa was because it was such a small restaurant, he was the chef and sommelier. And ah. for me, that was so inspiring that I was like, well, whatever happens, I'm going to be happy because I'm still involved in, in, in everything. And so, um, I spent some time cooking, and then uh, there was a, an instance where some guests had come into the restaurant, and um, they were celebrating a um, like a going away party or something, and and they had asked, uh, hey, can you recommend you know some wine to the chef? And he was like, he was kind of busy, and he's like, Patrick, can you go talk to them? And they ended up ordering all of this incredible wine, and at uh-huh. the end of the night, the chef was just like, can you do this always? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I said, yeah, for sure. And yeah. so I ended up taking over the wine program for them. So, uh-huh. um, which was which was really interesting. Uh, Japan, the wine culture, it's it's obviously not something that I think you know people think about. You know, when you think about Japan and you go out to eat Japanese food, you think about sake, you think about beer, right. you don't really think about wine. Um, but I, I and I haven't been back in a couple of years now. Obviously, with last year and this year, but. Um, I would say that there's more incredible bottles of wine from the 60s, 70s, 80s in Japan than probably anywhere. Like, they bought so much Burgundy in the 70s that it's still, to this day, like, stacked to the ceilings in some of these cellars. And (laughs) the provenance of them is, uh, is unparalleled. I mean, it's insane. Like, anything that you want, if you're, like, Oh, you know, Henri Jaillet, I mean, I know somebody there that has cases and cases and cases that he bought on release. It's crazy. It's insane. They're just, it's such an obsessive culture that I love so much that when they love something, they just 
buy everything and they just go. Yeah. So that was such an, an amazing experience for me being there. And, you know, I thought being in this three Michelin star restaurant in San Francisco at Cezanne and like drinking all of this incredible wine, like I, I, I was like, I'll never experience Burgundy like this again. And then when I was in Japan, I was like, wow, like I'm drinking and tasting so much better than I had ever <laughs> thought was even possible. Um, and being a three-table restaurant, like, and, and it's so funny. So it's a three-table restaurant, and generally speaking, one table is always for regular guests. So uh-huh. if you see the same people all of the time, and they would come on a sometimes weekly basis and always be drinking incredible things. And so um, just experiencing wine there really, uh, I think looking at what I do now, that was really a huge step for me because it, um, you know, I had mentioned this a little bit prior, like it helped me gain opinions on vintages and producers and vineyards and and those kind of things. And so that was, um, that was really special. And then, you know, eating sushi all the time was also quite, (laughs) <laughs> I, won't, I won't complain about that. Um, I spent a few years there. Uh, and then, uh, like living in any foreign country, kind of ran into some visa complications. And uh, at the same time, uh, the chef from Cezanne, uh, Josh, had called me and was like, what are you doing? Like, you know, when are you coming back to the U.S.? And um, he had all these ideas and concepts that he was working on. And he's like, I just you know, I'd love for you to be a part. And so I, I said, okay. And, uh, you know, as the visa complications continued, I decided to leave and go back to, or come back to San Francisco. And Wait, um, before you leave, before you leave Tokyo, you yeah. did do another test though and became another sommelier. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. In sake, which was, which is, um, was so, it was so much fun. It, it was really fun to, to study for um, because sake is kind of complicated because there's not really rules. Like you can kind of do whatever you want. (laughs) Kind of like beer. Like it's hard to like, you can put, I mean, you can't put coffee in sake, but like you can really do a lot of different things that people don't really think about. Different yeast types, water types, uh, different um, polishing rates. And so it was really fun to to taste these all of these different sakes because um, none of that stuff is available here in the U.S. Uh, people think that sake is you know 16% alcohol, 17, 18% alcohol, but there's producers in Japan that are making things with you know nine, 10, 11% alcohol, and then are, are are totally different than anybody you know would think of. And so it's really fun um, to do it, and it's a fun, it's a pretty. It's a it's an interesting exam. I mean, it's um, it's not dissimilar from the certified exam. There's no, um, the, there's no service element. There's a blind tasting, uh, and then a, a pretty long theory exam. I, I think the theory exam is like, is like four or five hours. It's pretty. It's a pretty wow. long. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty long exam. Wow. Uh, uh, but fun and and like I think uh, you know I. I, I don't know if it's available in the U.S. yet. 
Um, but I would, I would highly recommend anybody that works in a, a Japanese restaurant or even is just kind of passionate or interested in learning about it, it's worth studying for here. And then if you, if you take a vacation to, to Japan, you know, de- you know, putting a day or two uh, aside for, for taking it, um, you know, because you meet a lot of people along the way, too, that are interested in sake, and it opens up a lot of doors in Japan, which can often be closed um, for you to go to breweries or meet people that are really influential in sake in, in Japan. So it's, it's really fun. I've, ne- I've never heard of a sake sommelier. I, I, you know, just it seemed new. Well, uh, uh, Kikasaki Shi, Shai, was yeah, that? Uh... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Kikizaki Shi, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've I've it's, never heard uh, of that. I, uh, you know, slowly that's but surely, it's starting to gain some, like sake is starting to gain some relevance. And um, I, I want it to, I want it to more. Um, I think the access to sake in the U.S. is part of the problem. Uh, it's 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 a storage thing. I, it, it, they don't. A lot of the the distributors and and such don't take very good care of of sake, and it's a really really sensitive. Product it should be it should be stored at a at, at below zero actually like for really? long term for long term storage for anything longer than really just a few months that anything longer than six months it really should be stored in uh, in below like negative one negative two is the ideal storage temperature for it um, otherwise talking, it starts to develop. Are we talking Celsius or are we talking Fahrenheit? Uh, that would be Fahrenheit, right? Fahrenheit. Is that right? Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah I get confused, the United States is Fahrenheit. Fahrenheit. You know, you're Canadian, <laughs> yeah. so that is Celsius. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I get sometimes I get confused with it. Yeah, um, but so yeah, I, a lot of the a lot of the great brands don't get exported uh, from from Japan because um, because the the U.S. market isn't designed yet, at least um, to 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 be set up to care for these you know really sensitive beverages, and it's it's too bad because it it could be, but it's to be honest, the way that they would, uh, you know, the optimal storage that they would like is so expensive. It's, it's very, it's, we're just not set up for it yet. Um, yeah. But there's a couple I, of great. I was just going to say, I, I enjoy sake, and I usually have a couple of them on hand all the time, but I've never been told, I've never heard that these things should be stored at such a cold temperature. I that, that just that surprises me. Tremendous surprise. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, know. if you open it, I mean, you can keep it in the fridge, and and keep it in the fridge for um, even with this if it's open, it's good for a couple of weeks for sure. Um, it will uh, it will obviously change um, depending right. on what That's... the sauce. Um, I just would never keep it outside of the fridge for any sort of extended period of uh, any any extended period of time. Wow. And keep it standing up. Not on the keep it standing up just like you would with uh, like Madeira or with like a spirit um, because really? uh, it is a little bit higher alcohol content so it will start to like uh, corrode the what is often metal capsule. Correct. Yeah. Oh, wow, um, that's 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 interesting. I uh, <laughs> I, I never realized it about sake. Like I say I enjoy sake. That's it's one of my. Uh, uh, that and scotch are two of my usually higher alcohol pleasures, and sake obviously not being that high, but uh, I, I just never realized that it was that sensitive, and I've never had some very real Japanese sake, so that could be part of it too. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think uh, I think that it doesn't it doesn't get enough um, press sometimes in the sense that like sake is one of the most food friendly beverages there there is, and uh, I, like pretty much all sake will work with with food, and it works with everything from obviously you know Japanese things like like sushi, but I mean, there's sakes that work really nicely with grilled chicken, grilled steak. I mean, it's, there's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of options with what it pairs really nicely with. And it's cool to see uh, a lot of Michelin-starred restaurants starting to maybe, you know, in the wine pairing or something, starting to, you know, pour a, a sake or, or two for, for people. And uh, it, often, it often is kind of like, oh, wow, it, it can sometimes be the biggest surprise of the entire wine pairing because nobody's, you know, expecting it. They're expecting a champagne, two white wines, two red wines, three wines, you know, same thing, exactly. same everywhere. So yeah. it can, it's fun to kind of shake it up a little bit. So, uh, wow. I, I'm sorry. Yeah, I just, I, you know, you, I noticed the little note here that you are a, uh, a Kikisakishi, and so I just wanted to uh, learn a little bit about that, but that was interesting. I learned a lot more than I thought I would about sake. Uh, so we were, you were lured back to San Francisco, where you left yeah, off was, before I interrupted. Yeah, was lured back. Um, and uh, so Saison so was kind of going through some, some transitioning. Um, the, the chef, Joshua, uh, who kind of was stepping out of uh, the limelight a little bit and um, moving on to open a couple of new uh, concepts called Angler, one in San Francisco, one in L.A., uh, which was meant to kind of be this not fine dining, but also kind of fine dining, but like fun seafood restaurant that you mm-hmm. could go to for like a casual oysters salad and, uh, you know, a steak, or you could go there and like have this, you know, long three hour experience with, you know, a whole turbo and all of these really cute sort of like raw fish preparations and uh, all these beautiful vegetables and kind of things. And so, um, you know, I helped uh, with that uh, entire opening, which was a really cool experience for me. I, I had opened a few restaurants before, um, but for me, kind of being, um, you know, involved in the entire process was, was really unique. Um, and I, I, had, I came back as uh, kind of a, I don't, you know, it was kind of a made-up position in a sense. Um, it was, you know, the title was like... <laughs> director of service and beverage. Um, and my job was really to connect all of the different um, aspects of the restaurant. So take the wine team and the service team and the, and the chefs and bring them all together and create systems to kind of provide better service for, for the guests. And that's, and that's kind of uh, what I was doing. And it was, it was really fun. I mean, I, I, I kind of just, um, I just looked at how we do things and try to see if there was a, a better way um, to do it, whether efficiently or just from a like purely hosp- like hospitality focused um, degree. So it was it was a really it was a really amazing um, uh, you know position and, and being back uh, I, you know it was great to be reunited with a lot of the sort of regular guests um, <coughs> that I had that I had known for, for years from, from, you know, working at Saison before and um, not even really, you know, thinking about it, 
uh, a, a regular and, and a close friend of mine, you know, she said, she just was like, hey, you know, every time I come to Cezanne, you just pick a wine for us and we always love it. So, like, can you just, like, also do that with, like, our wine cellar at home? And I was like, yeah, of course. Like, sure, no problem. Seems fun and pretty easy, you know. And uh, right. as, I, as I did it, I was like, huh, there's, a, there's like, so much more to this than, than, than one thinks. And, you know, handling the logistics and the wine showing up at the right time and the right wine and the right vintage and, and all of these things, um, it kind of got some, you know, some sparks in the back of my mind. Um, you know, flowing and just saying like, huh, like I feel like building a wine collection um, and one that is balanced uh, and has things to drink now and age and um, is actually harder to do than what people, you know, give credit to. You, you just think right. like, oh, I'll go on to like, you know, a, a wine website. I'll go to wine.com and say, okay, well, my seller holds um, – you know, a thousand bottles. And so I'll just go and buy a thousand bottles and then a <laughs> hundred, 120 cases of wine show up at my house. And I have to like somehow unpack all of these wines and like, I need to develop an organizational system. It's kind of <laughs> inventory. It's, 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 oh yeah. It can be a mess sometimes. And so I was like, huh, like, I think that there's something here. I think it's, I think it's relatively niche, but I, you know, I would be okay with doing something like that. And um, so, uh, you know, after spending, after being back at Cezanne and, and, and getting anglers, oh, the anglers open, um, uh, I decided to, to kind of go out on my own and, and start my own, my own thing. And I, and I had a, uh, you know, I had a, a client or two that I had been kind of helping that I gave me a little bit of security that, you know, there was, I think there was something and, so I set out, I left the restaurant, um, and, uh, and then I started TWC, which is Thatcher's Wine Consulting. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, the idea really at that point was just to make the process a little bit easier, help navigating through the wine world a little bit easier, um, often saying no a lot of times rather than yes like saying like no i actually don't think that we should buy this wine i actually we should we should probably you know buy this vintage because it's drinking a little bit better and it's going to age better and, and and that was kind of the 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 idea um helping with um you know logistics when you're traveling mm-hmm. to a city and you want some wine shipped to you and you want it at the restaurant ready to go or at the hotel or you want to um you know, do a tasting for all of your friends or, uh, you know, those kind of things. You're going on a, on a yacht and you need a bunch of wine and on your yacht and whatnot. So that was kind of the, the idea. And um, it grew, I, like anything. And I, I, think, um, I think it's an important aspect of business. It's been something uh, – I'm, I'm, I'm not a restless person, but I'm not a, I'm not a person that's ever satisfied. I, I always want more and more and, and better and better and better. Um, and then we started uh, in – so after about one year, started the website platform, and that was uh, really a way for us to um, start to carry our own inventory, uh, which really helped in pinches when clients say, hey, I need a bottle of wine tomorrow that's, like, from 1991. And you're like, okay, well, we have that, so we can send that to you. Whereas before, 
you know, I had to call somebody or text somebody and then have them ship it and maybe they don't have time to do it and kind of, it was hard to react quickly. And so now, you know, carrying our, our own inventory kind of helped those things. And then also it allowed us to, you know, it allowed me to kind of showcase some things that I'm really excited about, whether they're new winemakers uh, in Burgundy that are young and kind of cutting edge and, and really doing something incredible, or uh, maybe a new champagne producer that's popped up, or um, I'm a huge fan of, of dry German Riesling, and I'm, I think what's happening there today is, is really inspiring. And so mm-hmm. we could have all of these wines that maybe the clients that were buying or, or that were collecting, uh, you know, they have 5,000, 10,000, 50,000 bottles were not necessarily, it was, these, these producers weren't on their radar. But now we have an opportunity to put it on their radar and also share our love for these wines with the rest of people that don't have to kind of contact us and be retained and, uh, you know, us managing their seller. They can just go onto the site and, and, and just see what's new. And we kept it kind of boutique-y and where the inventory is just always fluctuating and changing and there's just new stuff. And, um, you know, it's been a year and a little bit now and people seem to be having a lot of, a lot of fun. And I think for me, the sign of that is when for like uh, five days in a row, you see the same person, person making, you know, four purchases a day for five days. It just means that they're like, oh, this is cool. Like, I want to buy this. I want to buy that. Oh, what's this? I've never heard of this. Um, And we were lucky to get it going right before COVID. So that kind of uh, helped a bit during that crazy time and giving some more sort of security uh, for us. Um, And then we started the import company uh, as well, which is um, brand new, just a few months old now. So, called Thatcher's Imports. I thought it was fitting to go in with the name of the consultant <laughs> yeah. company. Since it is your name. I mean, no. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And we just want to work with, um, again, that same, a lot, of the, a lot of the producers that we were really excited to put onto the site, we wanted to take that same ethos and apply it to the new producers that we're importing. So we want to work with um, the sort of next generation that are, um, really passionate about agriculture, uh, realizing that, you know, global warming is a major thing and we need to pay attention to it or else we're not going to have white burgundy anymore, you know. And so, um, and so, so yeah, we, and we started that. And, and really, you know, at this point, all three of those elements have just kind of tied into each other because everybody loves wine the private clients are really interested in trying some of the new things. Um, the import adds a lot of value to both aspects um, because it's bringing something brand new into the U.S. that's never been here before. Um, and so that's kind of where, where we are today and lucky to have a really amazing team. Uh, last year we hired um, Courtney, who was the wine director at The Modern in New York. Um, so she was, uh, you know, her her passion for wine has been amazing. And then the first hire was Noah, uh, who um, he was the director of wine programs at, at Cezanne. And he's just uh, uh-huh. like a logistical animal. It's incredible. Like he just, uh, he's so dialed in with everything that's going on. Um, and so it's the three of us and, and we're just having 
a lot of fun and, and um, you know, it's, it's fun to see all of the changes that are happening in the wine world and, and kind of, and also be a part of them. You are based in the United States, obviously, but Switzerland and Asia also, I see here. Is that true? Yeah. So we were, we have, we have clients everywhere. Um, we, we have a, a pretty big client base actually in Asia and that has come from me spending time uh, in Japan and, and um, Takazawa across the street had a little 12 seat bar called Takazawa bar. And as we, I expanded the wine list pretty considerably to a, to over a thousand selections when I was there. And it just became this destination for people all around, uh, all around Asia to visit. So Singapore, Thailand, Hong Kong, Beijing. Um, and so they would come and they'd drink wines and we just became friends. And when, you know, when I went out and started doing this, this business, they obviously all love wine. And so they were like, well, please help me find all of these incredible things. And so uh, we have, yeah, clients in, in Asia, all around the U.S., everywhere from uh, Jacksonville to San Diego to D.C., um, and then a couple clients in, in Europe uh, as well, which is always fun to kind of be able to go to Europe and <laughs> hang out. Yeah, visit, yeah, visit your clients. Yeah. You, have yes, yes. A, you have a seller. Or you have a uh, – you'd say you have all these wines. Where are they? How yeah, do you yeah, store so, them? Give me a yeah, little bit have, of that. So, back. so I'm live, I live in San Francisco, um, and then right. we have uh, a, a basically a warehouse, um, maybe 45 minutes, just on, in the East Bay, and that's where we and that's where we store our our main inventory. Um, but we honestly have wine all around the world. It's <laughs> so, some, sometimes it's a little bit like. Okay, like we have wine in the UK and France, in Switzerland, in Oregon, in Chicago, in DC, in New York. There's, there's wine everywhere, but um, it all eventually makes its way to California, and then we uh, and then we send it to the clients, or it goes onto the website, and then we um, kind of go from we kind of go from there. Um, but yeah, everything is everything is always kept in temperature control. I think it's, I think it's really important. Um, It's wine is so sensitive and I, and you know, it doesn't mean that because you leave a bottle of wine out on the counter for a few days, there's going to be anything wrong with it. But I really think that um, keeping the light away from the wine is really, really, really important that not a lot, not enough people um, think about. Um, It's actually that's, that's actually one of my biggest problems with there's a lot of storage facilities that are popping up all around, uh, all around the U S and a lot of them have, um, you know, racking, uh, instead of just storing things in boxes. And, and my biggest problem with, with those places are that in a, in a public storage where you have racking, the lights are always on all the time and it's just not good for your, for your wine. And so if you have wine sitting at the, the top of this rack for years and years and years, it, no. it, 99% of the time the wine isn't going to be what it could be if it would have just been kept in a box in the dark, not touched away from, from everything. But I think and light is important and obviously temperature is important. 
But a lot of those places, too, use fluorescent lights because it's cheaper and easier, and that's horrible for wines. People don't realize it's, that it's, fluorescent it's really lights terrible. are the worst thing yeah, you can Yeah, it's really use. terrible. Yeah, you know, no, it's so. true. I, I mean, I think, I think you have to try to keep the, as much light out as possible. And, like, I have, like, a... Um, like at home, I have a uh, of like a wine enthusiast cob that's like you know holds like I don't know a few hundred bottles, maybe a thousand mm-hmm. bottles. I'm not sure. And um, and you know I when I when I moved in, I it was the first thing that I <laughs> that I did. I was like, <laughs> well, where am I going to put this fridge so that it never sees any light? You know. Um, yeah. And temperature is important, too. And, uh, you know, I think those two yeah. things uh, go a long way. I mean, it, short-term, um, short-term, fine. You know, if you just keep a few things out, it's going to be okay. But if you want to kind of experience that wine two, three, five, ten years later, it really should be in, uh, in temperature control. Right. Anything uh, over six months, yeah. you really should have temperature control. I mean, it's simple as that. Uh, yeah. Sake, yeah. is that part of your inventory or not yet? No, it's not. I've, I've, uh, I've, um, I've tried to start an, a sake import company into the U.S. It's, it's entirely possible, um, but it is not a – I could start a sake company and get sake here and sell sake, and that would be fine. But from a, what would make me feel good about it, it would be representing brands that know that their sake is – uh, you know, controlled the the way that they want it to do, and I don't. It's hard to. It would basically mean that a twenty dollar bottle of sake in Japan would be a hundred dollar plus bottle in the U.S. because that nah. shipping and storage would be so expensive. Which I think a lot of people would pay a hundred dollars, but it would not feel good to travel to Japan and be like, oh, like I this bottle is thirty dollars and I bought it for. A thousand, <laughs> you know. Yeah, right. Feel good. So we'll see. Maybe in the future we can figure that out. But um, I mean, a, a lot of the clients that we have are actually really interested in sake, and, and we do work with a few brands to try to be like, okay, you know, as soon as the wine, as soon as the sake enters the country, you know, we purchase it and then you know get it to them right away, um, and that helps to, to make sure that the you know it's been stored perfectly the most of the time. And so, um, but it hasn't been too big a part yet, but it's something yeah. that I obviously would be great to, to work towards. Something you mentioned earlier, and I want a clarification because obviously I am not in the restaurant business. You mentioned uh, one of the restaurants working from a two-star to try to get a three-star rating on mission. Uh, how does that work? How do you get a mission rating of one, two, three, or four-star? So, so for, I mean, the way that they, the way that the Michelin guide says it, right, is like a three-star is worth a journey for, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a one-star is always going to be a really incredible meal with great service. And then a two-star is worth it, is worth a trip. But the three-star is worth, um, you know, for example, there was a restaurant in northern Sweden called Favakin. So like, you have to, if you were here, I would have to fly to uh, Stockholm, and then I would have to take a train for four hours, and then I would have to drive for three hours to get to Favikin. So, to, like, that's the journey that, like, is worth taking 
in, in the way that that restaurant would, would deliver, for example. Um, wow. You know, what does, it, what, does it, what does it take to get three Michelin stars? I right. mean, after working in them for quite a long time, I think the most important part is, um, is consistency, and that's really what they're, they're, they're looking for. They're looking for um, the, you know, it, it's often a tasting menu. There's very few uh, a la carte three Michelin star restaurants. Um, they're pretty much all tasting menus. So they want those things to be, um, you know, the courses to be cohesive. They want the timing to be, to be correct. There shouldn't be long legs in between each course. Um, you know, the service team should be really knowledgeable. There should be a, uh, you know, at least a half-decent wine list. You should be drinking out of uh, Zaltos or, or Riddell or um, Gabriel glasses at, the, you know, at least. Um, the plates to be polished, the restaurant to be clean, the reservation system to be organized. I mean, just sort of like everything that every restaurant should do correctly but don't often but then done correctly. That's, and that's what it is. And Michelin says the only thing that matters is what's on the plate. And I, and I, and I say, okay, sure. But I don't, I don't think that that's just solely <laughs> wink, wink. what it is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, Cause I've had some really great street tacos and you know, that would be deserving of three Michelin stars if that's the case. So. <laughs> Good point. Uh, Mike, do you have any questions for Thatcher here? I don't have really a question, but I did want to say that the uh, Saki School of America does exist, and they do oh, have yeah, courses. That, and yeah, that is a that is a possibility. But yeah, they do have quite a few uh, advisor and uh, the sommelier um, course as well. So that's what I found oh. so far. Oh, that's awesome. Then yeah, I mean that's like that's such a cool thing. And and I know of a few people that are getting really involved in sake in the U.S. And um, I think it's exciting, and I because I think like. I think it deserves the same um, level of attention uh, that, you know, something like, well, wine or beer or, or mezcal is becoming super popular. And so, you know, like if we're paying that much attention to these things, then, you know, we can also do it with, with sake. The issue with sake is that it's always, <laughs> it's usually in Japanese, which is, so it's not, <laughs> it's, not so, it's not so easy, right? Um, but we could also make English textbooks and, you know, guides and et cetera. Yeah, Mike, that's a point. We'll have, to, we'll have to get a hold of this school and see if someone won't come on the program and tell us about Saki. Yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah. Very good. Enjoy that it. would be yeah, fun. Definitely, uh, yeah. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, it, well, I'll tell you what, Thatcher, before we leave here, I want you to give – all of your contact information, if anybody's sitting out there listening to this program tonight and says, oh, my gosh, I really want a bottle of very good wine from this little place in Burgundy, and I wonder if Thatcher can do it. So give sure. us your websites, sure. give us your contact information, phone And one other question, where do you live in San Francisco? San Francisco is my favorite city in the whole wide world. I love that oh, city. Yeah, I'm in, and, uh, I'm in I'm in Soma, right by um, right by the pretty close to AT and T Park. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. great area yeah. there. Yeah. yeah, great area. It's super, super, um, super central. Yes, it is. It's it's a beautiful area there. I I just I love San Francisco. I 
would go there myself, but I'm not young and I'm not foolish like you who jumped somewhere with no job. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't recommend that to people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Just, just yeah. saying, just saying. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not young anymore. I can't do it anyway. So, so uh, give us all of your contact information, everything else, in case anybody is out there that wants to get in touch. Yeah, absolutely. So, super simple. The website is www.thatcherswineconsulting.com. And you're more than welcome to just send me an email. uh, And my email is just thatcher at thatcherswineconsulting.com. Same handle for Instagram, if that's a little bit easier for you. Um, We just tried to make it as simple as possible. Very good. And your import company, they can do that through you, through Thatcher's Wine Consulting also. So... Yeah, everything is, all, everything links to the site, um, and it has a there's the um, the, the consulting side tells you a little bit about the services that we offer. Uh, oh, whether good. you're just looking for a, a specific wine from a specific vintage, um, or if you're you're looking for uh, some help with you know filling the cellar or w- setting some goals for yourself um, for that cellar, um, or you can just go straight on to um, the wine cellar, which is just a link on the page, and uh, and then it has um, all of the offerings that are kind of forever changing, and just some really incredible wines from some really great producers that were that we're always really excited about. And you, obviously, from what I've heard, you are primarily French, Burgundy, Bordeaux, that area there, more so than anywhere else, then. Definitely. I mean, Burgundy is number one for us, and, and it, honestly, if because Burgundy is such a complicated region, it's really honestly why I have a job. It's the region that people need help with the most because it's so complicated. It's it's also, you know, that's my heart is Burgundy. Um, mm-hmm. But then we also have a massive selection of, of champagnes. Um, as I said before, I love German, German Riesling. Dry German Riesling is incredible. Um, there's a bunch of great wines from Italian or from Italy, some really hard to find stuff. Um, uh, there's, we didn't forget about the sweet wines cause I think that that stuff is important that people sometimes don't give credit to. Um, the Northern Rhone is something I'm really passionate about, of course, Bordeaux. Um, but yeah, mostly, uh, pretty well, it's almost entirely old world. Um, and then once in a while we'll list, um, like I really, I think some of the stuff from the the 50s, 60s, 70s from Napa is truly incredible. So when we can find some, uh, you know, 70s and 80s Diamond Creek um, or Ingle Nook, we'll put that on the site because in a blind setting, <laughs> you'll think it's Bordeaux always. They, they will rival anything from the old yeah. world. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, no doubt. They're incredible. They're really incredible. Yeah. Yeah, I I lived yeah. in San Francisco, or actually in Concord over the Bay, uh, in the uh, mid to late 70s, and spent a lot of time up in Napa. And th- those were some exciting times for wine there. It was just an incredible amount of great wines coming out of there. So, oh. no, it's amazing. I can't I can't believe it. Thank you so much for taking your time. Well, this afternoon for you tonight for us, but thank you so much for taking your time and and what an exciting life! I mean, you've been bouncing back and forth across Canada and over the ocean and across the United States and everything, and you're you're young yet, so you've got lots of traveling yet to do. So, 
Uh, no, thank you for, for having me. I, it was uh, it was super fun to chat, and I hope we can share some, some wine and or sake sometime soon. That sounds fantastic. I will definitely put that on my to-do list. So, again, thank you for taking right. your time tonight, and hopefully talk to you sometime in the future. Sounds great. Have a great rest of your night. <laughs> you too now. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Oh. I just noticed that you dropped twice here. What happened? Oh, yeah. Oh, I was going along. The first time it was like automatic, and I was just, I heard a, you know, boop, and I go, oh, that wasn't good. And so I recalled. And then, um, I don't know, somewhere, somewhere, I think it was during the uh, sake talk, um, you started garbling, and then I couldn't hear anybody, but I could hear like every once in a while, just like, and I was like, oh, this ain't good. So I said, I don't hear you all. And I didn't hear you. Response no, so I didn't I hear you. Yeah. Time for me to disconnect. So I disconnected and called back again. I was like, oh, my gosh. But uh, yeah. so Facebook and uh, and um, YouTube now, uh, they might have missed uh, about a minute's worth. But uh, yeah, oh, got right okay. back on and had to. Uh, well, yeah, well, I was I on the site where it was, you know. Uh, his mm-hmm. profile, and I was following with that. And that's oh, yeah. why I was bringing up stuff there. Yeah. And so I didn't go back to the studio page here until just now. Yeah. And then I noticed that you had dropped twice. And I went, what? Where? Why? Yeah. <laughs> things up there. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, things up there. Uh, well, yeah. good. Um, that was uh, very enjoyable. That um, was. That was. Well, what, a, yeah. what an exciting life that young man has had. 30 years old, and he is, mm-hmm. you know, Traveled all over the place. Well, That's, yep, yeah. yep, all over. Experienced all a lot over. of different cultures and everything. I, I wish, yeah. I, I wish a lot of people you know, could could have that and do that. Food, um, food is the basis for it. Food. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. So, um, so fantastic. Uh, cool. All right. Oh, yeah. and um, by the way, I, oh. our listeners are still out there, but I want to tell you this too. Uh, I saw that program on Netflix. Uh, that you're rotten. Oh, and rotten, on yeah. wine. Yeah, that was yep. that was interesting. That uh, kind of eye-opening. That you know, it was like that. I didn't realize it. You know. Um, yeah, I didn't. Either. That was an interesting program. I yeah. I was quite impressed. I'm telling was there's some way we can you know tell all of our listeners about this because that was very interesting. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and another thing too, well, which is not about wine, yeah. but I just. Re- Last night on Nova, uh, on PBS, there was a show about electric airplanes that you might really enjoy uh, about the research going into it and about what's happening with electric airplanes and about all the test flights and everything else. So it's just PBS Nova. I didn't realize that was – I'll look that up, yeah. Yeah, that was on – you'll you'll enjoy that. I've read about it, and you know, I've seen some developments in that. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, but I think we're still a ways off, but you know, they've been will, testing things already. So the same. We'll some of them are looking at starting up next year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the okay. little, little, you know, taxi service and stuff like that. You know, little short routes yeah. and stuff. So short yeah, but yeah, it'll be for short. Little little hops. You, you'll enjoy that though. I was thinking about you during during the show, but just PBS Nova. Um, it was something yeah. electric planes, airplanes, electric planes, something. I I don't remember the actual title, but it's easy enough to find. So yeah, I'll look it up. 
Cool. Yeah. Thank you. It's a good, <clears throat> good thing. It's a, people probably don't realize why is he talking about airplanes? Well, that's an interest of mine. So. Yeah, it's it's one of Mike's one of Mike's passions there. Yeah. So, all right. So we are done this week. The next week we are into mm-hmm. June. Oh my gosh! Wow. Yep, it'll be um, June, June the third. Third. Yeah. Yeah. Our next show doesn't look like we have any guests lined up yet, but just in case, we'll yep. let you know. No, but we do have one coming up on the 24th of June, so it's it's a little bit away, but still, though, we we have a guest coming up on the 24th, so that's something to keep in mind. And then, you know, uh, send me that link for that uh, uh, Saki program. Yeah, it's... it's just uh, sake. Yeah, I'll, I'll send it to you, but it's uh, yeah, send it to me. Else is out there. Sake School of America dot com. There you um, go. Uh, yeah, I'll send that to you. It's, and anybody um, who is a sake enthusiast, uh, you know, it'd be fun mm-hmm. to have you on the show. So let us know. Yeah. Now I'll yeah, try to I'll get a hold of the Sake email. School of America and see if there's someone there that would be willing to come on and talk to us about it. So mm, interesting. That um, would be. All right. We will uh, close it out for this evening, and uh, thank you all again for tuning in. We will talk to you uh, next week on June the 3rd at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, or if you listen to the archives, that's fine. Um, we understand. and <laughs> We do. <laughs> <That's fine>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, uh, have a great week and be safe. And, uh, oh, happy um, uh, Memorial Day, is it? Is that's it, right. Is it happy oh, yeah, Memorial that's Monday. Day. Yeah, you know, uh, I guess happy. What would you say? Uh, I, I, yeah, I heard it's not, but uh, yeah. it's a federal. For those who don't know, it's a federal holiday in the United States, uh, honoring and mourning the uh, military personnel who uh, died the, uh, during the, the ultimate sacrifice duty. for the service of our country. Yeah. That's that's and the that's term that I, I've heard used quite a lot. No, I wouldn't no, say but, happy uh, uh, remembrance. Uh, you know, but uh, yeah. unfortunately, there's a lot of people who will go out and like use it as a celebration day and you know without yeah. thinking about start, the underlying start the summer yeah. So, yeah yeah that's it so but um, there's are a lot of meaning out. behind it like mike was just saying yeah 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 there's there's more to it than a vacation day um yeah or so, hot dogs and beer yeah so. yes yeah I, I miss miscued that, and I was like, "Oh, happy!" And then I thought about, it and I go, "Wait, no, it's Memorial Day." <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It's so we yeah. we default to the happy on any holiday, so easily. Yeah, yeah every holiday is. Yeah, one in October, November. Happy Day of the Dead. All right, we appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. This past Wait, week what? too, I noticed somebody posted. Uh, Lee Spann, as a matter of fact, you, you know who I'm talking about, mm-hmm. the weather girl for stationery. Oh, yeah. Lee posted yeah. that it was National Wine Day last uh, That's right. Monday, uh, Monday or Tuesday, was it? Yeah, I think yeah. it was like two days ago. Yeah. Yeah. Tuesday, yeah. That so National Wine Day, and uh, I tried to get on our Facebook page and post it, and... <laughs> Um, my Facebook came up and said, we need a password. And then it wouldn't take it and said, I haven't used it. So I never did. I mean, the point being, I never did post it. But a couple of days ago was National Wine Day. Yeah. So, wow. Totally. Oh, well. 
We'll try oh, next well. year. Um, That's right. Or in six months when another one comes up and it's National Wine Day. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Always seems to be something. National Cabernet Day, National Merlot Day, National Pinot Noir, National Chardonnay, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, National Red yep. Wine, National White Wine. Yeah. So We should have a National Sake Day. So, yeah, yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah. They probably do. That'll be nice. That way. Yeah, it could be. So, uh, we'll see you next Thursday, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Have a great week and uh, be safe. Have a, yep. Have Thanks a safe for tuning weekend. in. See you safe next week. week. All right. Thank you. Tonight's this book. concludes oh. tonight's broadcast of <laughs> All About Wine with your host, Ron. Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archived shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine. All About Wine. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.